the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all for the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm Alex. Hey, Alex Renekamp is back with us, everybody. We love having you back on the show. Uh, We really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, remind everybody a little bit about yourself, sir. Uh, Yeah, so I'm Alex. Uh, I am a child of the 80s and 90s uh, who was... Raised in Alabama, but now lives in Wisconsin with my wife and eight-year-old son. Uh, I'm that person who has always loved movies and TV. Uh, actually, in fact, in college, I worked at both a local movie theater and at Blockbuster, which dates me quite well. Um, and I've been listening to uh, Blast from Our Podcast since I want to say it was actually episode six or seven is when I started wow. in. Um, of course, I went back, but I think I've listened to almost every single episode since. since wow, then. yeah. Wow. Yep, that was uh, back in 2017 when we started, uh, a good six years ago, and yeah, it's getting you're gonna make a tear to my eye as as we're kind of closing things out on the on the beef up horizon. But uh, really excited about it, and we're very happy to have you back. I think this is your fourth time back on something like that. Yes. You've you've been with us. Space Camp was the first one. Yep, and then Taps, Ta- mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, Dead Poet Society. Is that yep. correct? Okay, that is right. And now. Now you have brought us another property that I had not heard of because I had not heard, really heard of Space Camp. Maybe I kind of knew it. I didn't really know of Taps. Definitely knew Dead Poets Society. This one, zero clue that this movie existed. And we <laughs> are talking Heart and Souls is the movie. And I'm very curious. We're going to get into why you picked it. But interesting call here because it's – John, have you ever heard of this movie at all? Never. No. I didn't know this existed. So – yeah, Alex. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna get get into that once we talk about the movie. So uh, we're doing that. So a couple properties that you love, obviously this one, and a pup named Scooby Doo is the uh, TV show that we're gonna talk about uh, that ran in the late '80s. And then we're gonna do our own casting of Heart and Souls uh, as if it was being remade today. So uh, Heart and Souls came out in 1993. John, what else happened that year? Uh, All right, so the film was released on August 13th, 1993. The Billboard Top 100 single for that week was Can't Help Falling in Love by UB40. was an 80s song no that's that's an yeah that's uh it was from 93 okay yeah i mean i'm thinking of their version of red red wine was more in the 80s but probably but their cover of uh of okay all right cool yep John, I like I the looking, reggae style I, I was looking at that and saw number two and three and i kind of wish it would have been uh either one there it is as number two and uh the, i'm gonna be for 500 uh, 500 miles because those were some uh, great right. songs as well <laughs> yeah. from yeah, that more. time uh, topping the Nielsen ratings, uh, it was a little hard to figure out, but my best guess was probably uh, Home Improvement. Okay, right there. Sure. Um, that was pretty I think big. it's still fairly early in its in its run. Ninety three seems pretty early on. So yeah, I think it probably ended around what like ninety seven, maybe even ninety eight. It could have yeah, into. something around there. In uh, video games, uh, people who were uh, fans of the original computer text game Zork, 
uh, were happy because the second game called Return to Zork came out that month. <laughs> Never heard of Zork. Nope. Well, we weren't. Nope. That that was a PC game, and we were not PC yeah. players in '93. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't until a little bit later in the '90s. Yeah. Uh, the New York Times bestseller was The Bridges of Madison County by Robert James Waller. Okay, do you know that one? And my fun fact for 93, I think I've actually used this one before, but it's still fun, so I'm going to say it again. Uh, Snow, the reggae singer. His hit single Informer hit number one on Billboard charts while he was in prison. He only found out from a fellow inmate who had gotten out, heard the song, and called him in jail. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Good job. That, Good job, Snow. That was 1993. All right. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, get things going and talk heart and souls. Heart and Souls from 1993, uh, directed by Ron Underwood. He, uh, We talked about him recently with Tremors, and we're actually going to do his other movie, City Slickers, at some point soon, uh, and Mighty Joe Young, and quite a bit of TV directing as well for him. This movie was in part written by S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock, who also wrote other ones we've talked about. Short Circuit, Batteries Not Included, Ghost Dad, uh, Wild Wild West, things like that. And music was done by Mark Shaman or Shyman. I'm not sure. I think Shaman maybe. Uh, he did music for City Slickers, also Misery, The Addams Family, Sleepless in Seattle, and Bigger uh, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut uh, was all so- songs that he worked on, so... I very much enjoy his work. And I thought, actually, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I do think the score was pretty good in this song. Or, sorry, in this movie. Um, It had a lot of emotional hits on this one. So, Uh, the cast for Heart and Souls, Thomas, is played by Robert Downey Jr. And you know him from Iron Man, Sherlock Holmes, Tropic Thunder, Weird Science, stuff like that, of course. Uh, Julia is Kira Sedgwick. She is the closer. Uh, She was in Phenomenon. And I remember from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It was one of my Mm -hmm. favorites. Very famously married to uh, Kevin Bacon. Oh, Kevin Bacon. Yes. Yep. Exactly. She's one, not even a barely a degree away from Kevin Bacon. She's always <laughs> and she, she was Jennifer in Back to Future 2 and 3, right? I don't believe that was uh, not Kira Sedgwick. That was. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm thinking and on. The, sorry. That's later down. Yeah. <laughs> just I was just saying, no. That's the <laughs> other. That's yes. the other young blonde. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> yes, I'm yes. down the cast. <laughs> We're getting there. Um. Penny was played by Alfre Woodard. Uh, she's fantastic. We talked about her before because she was in Star Trek First Contact. Uh, she's been 12 Years a Slave, K-Pax, a bunch of stuff for her. Harrison, played by Charles Grodin. Uh, he was in King Kong, Heaven Can Wait, Midnight Run, but I always remember him as the dad from Beethoven. Yep. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milo is played by Tom Sizemore. Uh, he's in Pri- uh, Saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down, Heat, Natural Born Killers, and he died earlier this year, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, and is who Alex was thinking of is played by Elizabeth Shue. She was in Karate Kid, Adventures in Babysitting, The Boys, CSI, and yes, she was in Back to the Future uh, 2 and 3. Hal the Bus Driver is played by David Paymer, and we talked about him before, John. He was an American president. Mm-hmm. Get Shorty. He's been a lot of things. A really good uh, character. You've actor. seen this guy in a thousand movies. He's a wonderful yeah. character actor. Yep. Uh, so this movie had a budget of $25 million. And a box office of just sixteen point five million. Ooh. So this is a flop. 
And there's not a surprise why we don't know about it. So yeah, John and I don't know this one at all, but Alex, you did. You picked this one. And of all the movies, and you've had a pretty good track record, Taps was fantastic the first time I saw it uh, with, with you for the show. It was great. Obviously, Dead Poets Society was great. And even Space Camp, other than that stupid-ass robot and Leaf, <laughs> it was a decent film. Why are we talking heart and souls? With this with this episode, I kind of worked backwards um, uh, with the television show. So at the beginning of the year, Hulu released uh, Velma, which I haven't seen yet, and I can't comment on. But the internet had a whole bunch of opinions about it, about uh, Velma, and so I was like, oh, I'll do Peppa named Scooby Doo. And then I thought, well, let's let's pair it with a ghost like mm. or ghost like uh, movie. And so I thought of Heart and Souls and when it comes to heart and souls back in the nineties, when, you know, we weren't spoiled by streaming and on demand movies and television, we often were at the mercy of whatever was at, uh, on, on television. And so the two channels that I remember watching a whole bunch of movies on were TNT and TBS. And there were several movies that, uh, would show up on both channels that would either come before or after like the real feature film. Um, and some of these films include like Footloose, Shawshank Redemption, and Heart and Souls. And I remember watching Heart and Souls pretty often because it would just be randomly on TBS. Um, though I don't know if I ever actually watched it in its entirety um, and without commercial break. And so I just remembered enjoying it. And so that's why we're here today. Interesting, because John and I, we watched TBS and TNT frankly or, or you know quite often as well that's where we found a lot of some of these movies as well um sure. but uh yeah uh, i had to f- i actually just went ahead and bought it so now i'm an owner of heart <laughs> and souls <laughs> because it was only really available on stars uh that's what i saw yeah and i had to and it was either get a free trial which i know i was gonna forget and just probably spend the money anyway uh so it's like eh, screw it i'll just purchase it and write it off as a, a tax thing later <laughs> So I, but, um, I yeah. actually, I, I have to thank you, Alex, uh, because um, I did just go ahead. And actually, it was not a free trial. It was a three-month trial for $3. Oh, um, that's not bad. So I went ahead and I just got that. But my wife's favorite show is on Stars, and she's been having to wait for it to come to Netflix or to go to Netflix for her to watch the newer episodes. And when I told her I had a got I had, I had to get this this free this trial, she was ecstatic. So I got a lot of husband points because her favorite show is Outlander. And I was about to on- say it's it's got to be Outlander because my wife <laughs> yeah. we get Stars whenever Outlander comes out so she can watch it. <laughs> yes, so uh, she was more than happy for me to to get this uh, trial so that I can watch this movie. I'm sure I got my copy at the local library. <laughs> oh, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. This seems, this seems like a library movie, you know, <laughs> like, like it would just, it's probably in every single library. I used to, yeah, I was doing that quite a bit. I should have, that's definitely what I should have done. But well, oh well. well, up here, I've got a, like a network of like 10 libraries and they, you can order DVDs from any mm-hmm. of them and they'll deliver it to nice. your local one, which is nice. Nice. Yeah. But Adam, you're just yeah. adding to your collection as it is. So exactly. I like the it's, collection. A DVD I like, you know, is like never hard, a bad investment. No, never a bad investment. So. Especially when it's a write-off. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, I, before we get going into this, uh, I can only call the, these kind of purchases write-off for just a little bit longer because I am we are stopping the podcast. Um, but, Alex, I just want to just personally thank you um, for your support. We've said it before. You were the first uh, fan, if you will, who actually ever reached out to us, I believe. We got mm-hmm. an email 
um, that was sent and John sent it to me and it was just fantastic. And so just a big, big thank you just for all the years. I remember uh, you, we, you first saw me on, uh, you're watching fine brothers and I used to work for them. Right. I think, yep. isn't that how you, is that? Yep. That is. And, and then they were, they were doing, our group was doing some live, like somebody else like had a phone going around live and someone was talking to me and you happened to be watching it and someone you put a comment in and it's like oh i listened to your podcast or something like that and then the and the person told me and i was like oh shit awesome it just kind of grew from there and um yeah it's gonna be a sad day when we wrap up things with blast from our past podcast you know maybe things will come back after i finish uh grad school but we'll see but uh, again just a huge huge thank you for all your support of course and to you too you guys as well i've enjoyed the podcast it's a fantastic one i look forward to it sunday mornings i you know as soon as it's ready for download it automatically downloads and if i'm able to get a run in i'm listening to y'all while you know running around town appreciate it yeah speaking of that you also support my wife base you 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 follow her on instagram and you know she's a runner too so she uh she knows you as well so all right let's get into heart and soul something that we did not know at all is this movie, and we start off in San Francisco in 1959. We see a man who's got a pregnant wife. Uh, we meet Harrison, who's about to do an audition, but he's a nervous Nelly type. He can't really muster up the fortitude to go out and sing and actually do his uh, his his audition. Uh, we meet Penny, who's a single mother, and Julia, who's a waitress. Julia's boyfriend John comes into her work. He's uh, played by Sean O'Brien, who is in Olympus Has Fallen, Phenomenon. Uh, here come the monsters as well. She came to the city, obviously, is from either a smaller town or something like that. And he wants he she obviously is trying to find herself and she obviously rejected a marriage proposal. And he's been kind of waiting for her and he's kind of tired. He, he asks her again, you know, hey, basically, are you ready to come live with me and, and move on? And we got I've got he said, what, like 300 acres? I'm like, damn, girl. Yeah, <laughs> go, <laughs> go. This, this guy's money. But. Yeah, he's done, and she still isn't ready to go after him or, or to go with him back home. She still needs to find herself, and I don't blame him for leaving. He's like, all right, fine, fuck it, I'm done, and he kind of turns on and heads out. We then meet Milo, who we see as a thief, and then very quickly, Julia, back at the rest or back at the uh, at the club that she's working at, kind of contemplates her decision and realizes that she needs to go after John, so she goes and gets on a bus. Harrison does his audition, but he's too anxious to actually sing it all. So he walks off and he heads out and we see that he's going to get on a bus as well. Uh, at Penny's house, she puts her kids to bed. She seems like a very wonderful motherly type, uh, but she works night shifts. So she gets on the bus to go work nights. And uh, Milo gets, uh, as he's breaking into this guy's house, this guy, Mr. Marco, who is a mob boss type, something like that. He's definitely some kind of higher crime kind of thing because he hired milo to go steal these stamps but now milo tries to steal them back and we see that milo was trying to give them to the kid the kids pissed at him for not getting his his stamps back because they were given to him by his grandfather um and all this milo though is able to escape at first i thought it was kind of funny he had to get up and get out of the well essential because we will it comes back later but he had to go up out of the roof and he uh, jumped off that onto another roof and that's how he got out of that one i kind of like the way they they established our four kind of main character ghosts in these kind of quick vignettes uh it gives you enough uh, enough to kind of figure out who they are but they don't 
completely beat you over the head with character exposition, Julia maybe a little bit, but you get a really good sense of who they are in just a few minutes, in my opinion. I, I absolutely agree. I think the editing was quick. You're right. They're little vignettes. They're a perfect way to put it. Um, and yeah, Julia does get the most amount of time. And that's because we're going to see later that I guess they're trying to connect her story closest to Thomas's story. But yeah, it's, it is pretty interesting. It's a nice, fast pace. The pacing here is wonderful. And we're going to get things moving. Everybody's getting on this bus. And we know this is going to be a focal point for everybody right here. I wanted to add something real quick. You blew through fast, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Sure. Um, so back at the at the club, there was like a stand-up comic going on that was kind of doing a bit. He was actually doing one of Bob Newhart's actual monologues. Oh, and the okay. actor who was doing it was Bob Newhart's real-life son, Robert Newhart. Oh, That's okay. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, we meet the bus driver, Hal, uh, and all the characters are on this bus, as we see. And he's got himself a nice little view of some people playing hanky panky on the uh, in the car next to him, and so he's not really paying attention to the road. Um, and we do hear uh, Ray Charles's "What I Say" is playing in the background. See the girl with the rap that song. She can do the ballet all night long. Yeah, yeah. What I say. All right. Well, um, as he's kind of driving, and he ends up causing a wreck. And it's a wreck with that pregnant woman and her husband in the car. The bus goes over a bridge and just falls down. It is wrecked. And at that same time, oh, the baby's coming. And so the baby's coming. And then things get weird. (laughs) (laughs) We see the people kind of Penny and and Milo and them are standing on top of the bus kind of strangely. It's when we see the bus driver float up. Oh, shit. They're definitely dead. Uh, they're all ghosts. He floats up and heads up into the sky. I guess he didn't have any unfinished business or whatnot. Which he, I call his life was bullshit on. It's <laughs> low, John. Bus drivers are totally, you know, complete in their life uh, with everything. I thought that was kind of strange. Well, I think maybe he he wasn't getting the opportunity because he later said he has to drive that bus for like five hundred years for penance. So sure. he's, I mean, it's almost like a hell for him. Um, sure. So sure. it was it was at this point that I realized something about the movie. It, it, the last couple episodes I've done, you know, I always had like a personal tie. I was a space camp counselor. Mm-hmm. I went to military school. I was I studied to be an English teacher. And I was like, and when I did Heart and Souls, I was like, oh, I don't really have anything like that because I don't have imaginary ghost friends. Um, <laughs> yes. But at this scene, I was like, oh wait a minute, I I do. I was once in a bus accident. Um, oh. Yeah, it was. I was on the way up to uh, Indiana, and our bus driver fell asleep and kind of went off oh the road. And everyone was fine, but everyone got shook up and had to go to the hospital just to get us checked out. But that that this is now my personal tie-in to <laughs> uh, to heart and souls. I was also in a bus accident, but I did not die and don't have imaginary friends. Ghosts. Yeah, are you sure you're not a ghost? We're talking to a ghost right now. Is that it? <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> Well, we're glad you're glad you're okay. As uh, many many years ago that was, so yeah. So now Penny, Milo, Harrison, and Julia are you know souls, and they're kind of and they fly into the baby that was just born from the pregnant lady. And I was, I'm not gonna lie, Alex. When that happened, I was like, "What the fuck did you get me into, man?" <laughs> uh, we do some time skipping here. Uh, we first uh, skip to elementary school. We see that they're all now kind of trapped in this kid, so it's kind of strange. As the t- as the child's getting older, 
the kid's also getting a little weirder because he can interact and see with those souls, but obviously no one else can. And so the, they can just kind of see the baby like they think he's just laughing at the wall, but he's talking to his the souls in his body and, and these people. And so I, I appreciate that the movie doesn't bother showing us that, you know, the ghosts having to acclimate to being ghosts. They don't it's not about them. Mm. So there's no reason. Instead, we just we see probably about a one-year-old Thomas with the ghosts who have already, you know, they have an established relationship with each other. Everything's in place. They don't need to worry about it. They just go straight to one year later. And I like that. Yeah, I agree. There's only, Milo's the only one who's still kind of testing boundaries. He's still, you know, because there's actually like a invisible wall, basically, that's always surrounding the baby. They they have to stay within a certain amount of space to it. Milo kind of tests it throughout the, uh, the movie. Um, but everyone else is just kind of, yeah, they're seemingly content in their life, afterlife or whatever is going on. So uh, we then time jump up to elementary school and Thomas is seven years old. Uh, he's played by Eric Lloyd in this part, which I want to call it because Eric Lloyd was the kid in the Santa Claus franchise, the Tim Allen Santa Claus franchise, as well as Dunstan Checks In hmm. and a few other things as well. He, uh, so um, we see Thomas, you know, talking to his invisible friends and. Milo being a bit of a creep and whatnot, he's, you know, trying to look up ladies' skirts and things like that. Um, it's funny. It's cute enough. Uh, and Thomas enjoys his life with his friends, you know, with these with these souls in his head. So um, Milo does some teaching about horse racing to the kid, takes him to the track, has him <laughs> race. I thought this was funny. It was a cute little funny scene. But where where do his parents think he is? Where are his parents and how did he get there? Just saying, it's just... Maybe social services actually did need to be called. Maybe. Yeah, there were some leaps in logic, but um, <laughs> especially with this next part where he, Harrison is trying to have him listen to uh, opera while Milo has him blindfolded and turning the pages of a Playboy so Milo can see the Playboy. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny. It's ridiculous. And the other question is where, I mean, was that the father's Playboy? Where did he get it from? I don't know. Yeah, right. I guess uh, maybe he bought it and he said my dad is gonna beat me unless you let me buy this playboy <laughs> same kind of line he had uh at the at the at the track so i don't know and we see penny is talking thinking about her kids and julia thinking about john and they end up catching the guys looking at the playboy it's haha cute and funny and then as uh, alex mentioned <laughs> child uh, welfare services comes in and mentions the whole track thing and that he's uh, was said he was going to get beaten and uh, basically uh oh the uh, parents are considering putting him into a mental facility because they know he's got his imaginary friends and it's just it's causing issues so the souls kind of talk amongst themselves and they consider if they've they're doing the wrong thing you know putting putting themselves into his life uh, and so they decide they're going to stay out of his life and for good and he can just live life on his own they're going to go invisible and they wake him up to say goodbye. I think it was kind of mean that they woke him up at all to say goodbye. I know it would have been strange, but probably would have been just been better to just like go invisible then and just be like, well, he wakes up and they're gone and they're just gone and they were invisible. They were imaginary friends. But now they, they damn near traumatized the kid. And it's an emotional scene is there. He's like crying as they're as they one by one disappearing in front of his eyes and basically saying, yep, peace out. We're not going to talk to you again. Like that was kind of hurtful. <laughs> That's my opinion. Don't go, go back. Milo! Julia! Harrison! <laughs> and then, 
they did one of the most egregious things. I actually laughed out loud. Uh, they did this morph cut uh, from the kid to Robert Downey Jr. Uh, as he's older. It was almost like a la black or white, the music video, <laughs> but it didn't look nearly as good. And so I just I thought that editing choice was a, a waste. That's where that <laughs> so. 25 million went. Yes, I was like twenty five million is a lot of fucking money, it, and I guess it's yeah, it's the ghost effects and that one morph cut is pretty much what what it went to. I imagine a lot of it was also location costs because a lot of that was there was a lot of mm, San Francisco of involved. Yeah, and and probably um, Robert Downey Jr.'s blow habit at this time I think was probably pretty big, and so they had to pay for all that cocaine. Okay. So this is this was definitely around that time I think uh, when he was he was not at the top of his game. So. All right, uh, but he's now, Thomas is older, he's like 30-something or whatnot, and he's this business type, or maybe he's late 20s, I can't remember, anyway, he's this business type, he confronts Kirkwood Smith, for some reason, he's, he's got a cameo from him, I thought that was interesting, um, about the bank is going to pull out of their investment, and he's a hard ass, he's just kind of a he's kind of a dick now, you know, he's grown up as a little dick, and uh, but he's dating, he's dating one of John's 80s crushes, biggest crush of all time of, of, from that time. Uh, dating Anne, who seems like a very sweet person, meets up with her for lunch at this place. Actually, I wanted, I do want to throw that out there. Alex, you did a good job because John's, I think, was Elizabeth Shue your number one 80s crush? Uh, if she wasn't number one, she was definitely up there. And um, my number one uh, was, oh God, why can't I remember her name? Leah Thompson. <laughs> Leah Thompson, yes, yep. uh, from Space Camp. So Alex, you did a great job bringing in <laughs> our 80s crushes in all your movies. So thank you for that. By the way, so, did you notice the song? Did you notice the song that was playing in the background during the scene? Sorry, I'm late, honey. God, how did you get them to let you use this place? They owe me. Yeah, yeah I did PR for their fundraiser last year. Mm. Oh, while they were at lunch what? at the botanical garden. Yes. Mm-mm. It was heart and soul. Okay, very cool. I think the scene, I, they, this, you know, we did see here uh, Thomas as kind of that asshole banker, but I think that you do see a softness when he is with Anne. I mean, he sure. obviously he's he's distant, but you can tell that he does care, but he is holding back. So I'm glad they yeah. didn't just make him just a cold boyfriend because then we're not going to root for him. Right. Also then why would we believe yeah. that they're together? Right. If, if, yeah, he, if he's going to be such a jerk. So true. Yeah. He's, he is, he is holding back. He's a little bit hesitant because he doesn't want to like meet her parents or, and whatnot, um, which she wants him to, but he's not ready, but yes, but he does have some elements, some sweetness to him and, and all the souls like Anne as well. So they, they're, they're in for it. So, uh, and then, out of nowhere, the bus that they all died in drives in uh, as a you know spirit itself, if you will. Um, <laughs> I kind of anyway, sorry. Uh, and it's driven by Hal, uh, and he's here to pick them up to take them onwards um, because they were by now they should have fulfilled their lives, their former lives, and done their completed you know things and whatnot. But of course, the souls are not happy with him, and no angel came and talked to them about it, so it was all a a big misunderstanding. And so, so they haven't resolved any stuff with their life. And so they're supposed to use their corporeal being, who is Thomas, to get resolution. So you can you can even take over his body, Hal tells them. So they find this stuff out, and he's going to let them 
sit for a bit, stay there so they can finish things up before they have to move on, I guess, ascend to heaven, if you will. So uh, now the souls try to reveal themselves to Thomas, uh, but it's not working as much anymore. They have to try some other ways to kind of get it back into his head. And so they start by singing the song Walk Like a Man, which they sang with him when he was a kid. And it kind of gets to him. It's kind of it's almost like a bug in his ear at first. And then Milo starts to kind of be seen and we see him kind of fading back into the shot for or into view for uh, for Thomas. And it freaks him out, of course. And he's driving at this moment. So uh, he freaks out. He ends up waking up in a hospital. He continues. He's he's freaked out. He does remember them from uh, his childhood and he thinks they're hallucinations, of course. So he's going to go to the psychiatric ward. And then we get a scene that I did not like where they go up to the psychiatric ward and we someone else sees these people immediately. Look, this is going to sound crazy. Do you see any other people with me? No, nobody. Besides those four. And that person is played by Chloe Webb. I want to throw that out there. She's She was, I think, credited as psychiatric ward patient. Uh, Chloe Webb was in Twins, yes. if you remember. She was yeah. the one that Danny DeVito, the, the, yeah. his girl in that I one, recognize I her, imagine. but I couldn't remember from what, so thank you for that. Yep. And she can see them. She calls out exactly what they look like, and it's basically just as a confirmation that they're real for Thomas. But why the fuck can't she see them? We don't explore this at all. It doesn't go anywhere. No one else can see them. Is it only batshit crazy people can see them? What happened here and why is this in the movie? I had the exact same thought. Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't get how she sees it. I mean, obviously, it's there to just quickly establish that the ghosts mm-hmm. aren't actually there. But, you know, yeah, do all crazy people see it? Is it is, is just this lady? It makes no sense. It's it's basically it's a convenient plot device i will say i did like yeah. um when when uh thomas said you know looks up to her and he, he says hi and she goes no not today i'm i'm off medication i thought that was a great little <laughs> a little line but everything else yeah i think it, i i imagine they just didn't know how to quickly establish that yes these are real there's no other way to do it they can't they can't do anything physical so mm-hmm. They've got to somehow make it not a thing that they are actually ghosts. But but yes, it doesn't make sense. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make sense. So, okay. Yeah, just poor writing. But yes, it does. I mean, I get it. Yeah, as you put it, um, it, it gives that reality check that they, are, that they are actually souls in his body. So then they explain the whole situation, but he doesn't want to help. You know, he's angry at them because they basically made him seem crazy for all this year. So uh, we cut to him in a business meeting. And Thomas can't concentrate. He's looking crazy again, like talking to these voices in his head. And then Julia is the first person to take over his body. And it works. And now he's acting even crazier. It's hilarious because Robert Downey Jr., a man, is acting kind of like a woman. And it's wacky dacky. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> it's kind of stupid. It's kind of silly. But I can understand why a younger Alex might have uh, enjoyed this kind of thing. And in general, yeah, you know, we younger kids would think it's silly, but basically the souls are going to blackmail him into helping him, you know, if you will. They're like, hey, you need to just help us. Then we'll be gone. But, you know, but we can take over your body if we need to. Um, so the first person who who is going to go get help or is going to be probably the easiest one. It's Milo. And what he needs to do to get his resolution, he needs to get those stamps back to that kid. 
And so they go over to the Bob boss's house, who still lives there, uh, as they kind of notice. And Milo takes over Thomas, breaks in to get the stamps. But shit, there's a Rottweiler, Rottweiler at the house now, too. So it chases him. It's wacky little kind of back and forth. He sees Marco and they kind of have a fight again. Same kind of thing with a fireplace poker kind of stuff. Similar stuff to what he had before. And he escapes out the same window he escaped before. But this time he was going to jump onto the house next to him. Oh, shit. But now there's no house next to him. <laughs> uh, and so he has to get down a little bit less gracefully uh, down kind of the... Um, the water spout, or not the water spout, but the gutter he's trying to go down. And it's it's silly. It's just kind of farcical, you know, slapsticky kind of comedy. But it's funny enough. And he gets down there, and he gets to his car, Thomas does, and everybody. Um, and he ends up getting towed and arrested for, we think at first, oh, he was caught with the robbery. But no, it's because he has like $2,700 worth of parking tickets. <laughs> so that's really on Thomas. So, And that's where we meet the cop the first time we're going to keep going back to the same cop that uh, thomas keeps running into basically at the precinct so yeah this is this was one that was a great um i was in storytelling storytelling it's what you you establish something you reinforce it and then you pay off Mm -hmm. and this is the establishment of sergeant barkley which obviously as as a first time viewer it's like okay this is a guy he's just a police officer and I'll say, yeah, the the twist get, will get me at the end because I didn't, I had did not see that coming until the very little bit. But because I thought it was just like, oh, it's just going to be the comedic cop that is tired of this crap. Uh, but there's more to him, as we'll see. Uh, also, we find out that Thomas missed dinner with uh, Anne's parents, and so he goes and apologizes to her. Um, at first, you know, she was struggling with it, but she ends up accepting him because yes, he does seem to legitimately care about her. Uh, And so Thomas then returns the stamps that he was able to steal. And that kid is now grown up and they're worth about like a hundred thousand dollars, they say. So he gets the stamps and he's amazed. And so, yeah. And you get a slight little smile because Thomas has been kind of hesitant and resistant at dealing with these souls and helping them. But now that he's helping actually helped somebody, uh, you see a little smile there. So there is some redemption uh, for him because he is, you know, he's, He's actually a nice dude. So they all sing Walk Like a Man together. And it's a very cheesy scene. I'm going to walk like a man. But then the bus comes and it gets Milo and Milo is gone. He's he's off to the next afterlife adventure. So. Uh, the next person that they're going to help is uh, at first Penny, but it's going to be difficult to find her kids because that's what she wants to do. She needs to get things resolved because she had three kids. She wants to know where they are. What I didn't mention is in that first scene that we established that little bit of exposition from the very beginning, they have like a neighbor. Penny and her kids have a neighbor who is like this crazy cat lady. And Penny goes back to that apartment complex. And of course, the kids aren't there. They were taken by child services and they they can't get those records because they're um, sealed up and no one can get them uh, except for like the kids themselves uh, but then penny sees some cats still around oh my god the crazy cat lady is still there and they go and talk to her and i have to say her old lady makeup was god awful <laughs> yeah, it was bad it, it was really bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the prosthetics they they certainly didn't uh spend too much on those because it, it was rough so then they're driving down the road because uh, you know they're trying to figure out 
where to go because her kids are in Sacramento, which is like a couple hour drive from where they're at. But they stop and they see B.B. King is playing. And so, oh, crap, this is a chance for Harrison to sing. You know, yeah, he could have sung anywhere. He got to go to an open mic or something like like that. But why not? Let's invade a B.B. King concert. So that's what they do. Penny takes over Thomas and silly shit happens. And she ends up again. It's Robert Downey Jr. acting kind of wacky and silly as he's taken over. And but. Get, they get him backstage. Hey, he's playing a black so woman it, years before Tropic Thunder, so you know. <laughs> you're right. You're right. This was uh, exactly practice for his role in Tropic Thunder. Uh, they they get up there and uh, Thomas kind of realizes, okay, this is the chance to sing in front of the crowd. So he's like, okay, time for the national anthem. You know, what would he sing? Why would he sing? But there you go. That's the chance for something. And Harrison can't do it at first. He's too nervous. It's not until Thomas tells him the line. Who came up with this ridiculous concept anyway? Resolve your entire life in one bold stroke. What if I fail? And I will. I'll fail. I'm telling you, I always fail. And my whole life will be a complete failure. No offense, Harrison, but you died a failure because you never tried. He died a failure because he never tried. And that resonates with Harrison. So he gets in there. And I do want to say, oh, go ahead. And right when he says that, the yeah go, the audio <laughs> the audio i was going to say exactly mm-hmm. the, the audio goes completely silent it's like they got rid of every ambient noise like it was just dead silence as it hits harrison i thought i i like what they were trying to do and emphasize it i just thought it got really strange it's just kind of weird that it went dead silent to me yeah i, I thought i also thought like my audio went out for a second <laughs> yeah Yes, I assume because it was yeah complete silence. Yeah. I assuming they were just trying to convey Harrison's calm, but yeah, it, it was very abrupt. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. So he does jump into Thomas and he sings. Uh, interestingly, Anne and her parents are there at the VV King concert. Okay, and they she notices because to her it looks like Thomas is singing, and then. B.B. King is enjoying the anthem, so he pops in with his band, and he and him and Lucille, his guitar, just playing along with him, uh, and the crowd loves it. And yay, Harrison got his chance to shine. So I would how I how I would update the scene, you know, and I'll talk a little bit in when we do our casting, but I would do that thing where the camera, you know, circles around you know, Thomas, and then there would be yeah. a, like a, a wiper or whatever, you know, and we would suddenly see Harrison singing. So we could kind of get that moment mm. at you. I would like, I, I would have loved to see that. Yes. Cause it, then you could actually right. get that character gets, you get to see him do the thing that he was afraid of. That's well put. Cause we really only see Robert Downey Jr. We see Thomas singing. Um, and that's the whole thing, but we get Harrison's voice, but you're right. We wanted that, kind of closure for us to kind of make that connection that Harrison is actually doing it. And admittedly, Harrison's arc in my for me was kind of like the weakest of all the four. Oh, yeah. Um of all of all the characters, he's the one I'm I'm just kind of least interested in. It's just kind of a, a personal thing just for him. And it doesn't even seem to seem to like move Thomas that much. It has very little to do with Thomas, whereas all the other ones there was more involved there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wholeheartedly agree on that. So, uh, so while BB King then transitions to start playing, the thrill is gone. The bus comes uh, to get Harrison, and uh, and he's taken away. 
because Thomas was just staying on the stage and he was just didn't really walk away like he should have. He gets um, taken away by guards and, of course, arrested and taken back to the cops. So once again, he's at the station and we again see that same uh, police officer. And when he gets out, he sees Anne and she's pissed at him again that he had something more important to do than see, meet her parents. Yet he was there and singing and all this stuff. So so she's upset. And that relationship is getting strained, and she leaves. As Thomas drives away, he hits the cop car. And it's that same officer that he had just seen again. And man, this guy keeps getting it. So this is the third time we saw him, as you said. Exactly. Uh, establish, repeat, and then uh, pay off. And when uh, the bus is the bus comes in at this time again to put pressure, but nobody's ready. Uh, Penny's not ready. Julia's not ready to go. They haven't resolved anything. And the cop was with his family because I guess he was getting off work and whatnot. And he was in kind of his family car and he starts singing this song. We did not. I did not mention this before, but uh, Penny was singing a song earlier called Hugabug that I guess she made up. She sang it to Thomas when he was a kid. And now the officer to try and calm down his kid is singing this Hugabug song. And so Penny realizes, oh, shit, that's my child. That's Billy. Uh, It's him. And so. Thomas has to explain and he kind of brings up, oh, is your mom Penny or your brother or your two sisters this and uh, age this? Do you grow up with a cat lady and explains all this kind of stuff? Penny's, you know, is excited because she's getting closure. She gets to see that her child is is OK, what he's made of himself and lets him know about his sisters and where they went. And so she's able to get closure. Uh, she even does take over <laughs> Thomas very quickly to give him a hug. They get a hug and says, I never left, even though, yeah. And, and Pen- Penny's send off is so emotional of all of all the four send offs. This, this is the one I think has probably the most heart. Um, and yes, it's a big coincidence that he keeps running into her son. But I'm assuming that so much of it is the universe lending them a hand. Um, that hug just was so it was uh, very probably cringe level awkward, but I understand that that was the point. But it's hard to watch when he whispers into the ear. I never left. <laughs> yes, um, I thought it was strange. I could have sworn Penny's was going to be the last one because I agree with you. It was the most emotional. It had the most weight. A single mother died and her kids, you know, had to be taken and split up into child custody. I thought that is the most that, to me. That was the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of surprised when she went first or not went for when she went before Julia and Julia was left because I was like, the, the reason Julia is left last I know is because of the connection they're tying in Julia's storyline with Thomas and Anne storyline I get that but I think with Alex's point is it was the most emotional getting that reunited or uh, being the reunification with her and her kids and so I just I didn't like the order I'm just gonna throw that out there we cut to a farm uh, Julia uh, it was obviously she's trying to write she wrote a letter for her uh, ex-love John but the bus comes and they're like, oh, shit, time to go. And they have to they speed off. I do like Hal's like, really? You're trying to outrun me? It's a it's a ghost bus. It's not a problem. So Hal tries to, you know, he beats them to that house, tries to force it to happen. Um, but no, Thomas and Julia are able to, you know, make him wait a little bit. And so they go up to the house. But John doesn't live there anymore. The person who owns the house is some other guy uh, played by Tony Gennaro. Uh, who was Miguel in Tremors, mm-hmm. another one that Ron Underwood directed, so I recognized him immediately. 
Um, apparently, yeah, apparently John passed away about seven years ago and this guy bought the house from him. Julia's distraught by this revelation. And then she and she's pissed. She confronts Hal. What she's trying to figure out what to do. And then she realizes, oh, it's not about, you know, me getting closure from John. She realizes she needs to help Thomas with Anne. That's how she will resolve things to keep him from being like her. And that's her purpose. And then she doesn't really do shit. She doesn't act. Literally, she just has Thomas tell her. Thomas promises, you know, that, oh, I'm going to live the, the life that, you you know, you couldn't um, and get, that you couldn't get to live. And that's all the closure she gets. Literally, all she needed was him to say, OK, cool, I'll do that. And she hugs him and that's it. And then then, yeah, and she uh, that's all the explanation she needs. And then now she can go too. What the fuck? Well, I think what a letdown. I think she knows Thomas well enough to know that he is being sincere and he ha- she has watched him change and grow. And so she knows him well enough. She knows that she has gotten to him. And- but she needed she needed to, like, give him some advice or something like that. to say the words she needed to be with him. Whisper the words that she couldn't say to John that he says to her, to Anne to get her back something other than just like. Okay, I hope you do it now. I'm off, off off to the bus. Like, it just it didn't feel <laughs> resolute enough for me. Okay, uh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Thomas uh, meets with Anne again at the botanical garden, at the same place that he had lunch with her earlier, and he basically says he commits himself to her, and you know they love each other and they kiss, and that's it. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this was. So- this was like I'm so so anticlimactic for me because yeah okay she kind of took him back pretty quickly and there was really no issues. The camera tilts up to the heavens and it's the end. And then at first, walk like a man plays in the credits. Um, also, I really think this is the movie that needed visual credits. I don't know why they didn't do it. It just felt like it should have. Um, and then the song shifts from Walk Like a Man to My Heart and Soul by Stephen Bishop. My heart and soul time and place. I couldn't figure out if that song was written for this movie or not. I think it might have been, but I couldn't really find much info on it. And that's the end of Heart and Souls. Uh, we're going to start off, Alex, we're going to let you have our final talk on this movie. Uh, we'll start with John. John, then me, then Alex. All right, Alex, I was, <laughs> I was bored to tears. <laughs> Tell about halfway through. And then it kind of grew on me a little bit. That middle section, I actually really kind of enjoyed when they started doing all the kind of the missions for the for the ghosts and whatnot. And I I, I also was also kind of disappointed by how it ended. I also agreed that Penny's arc should have been the one that was last. I ended up having fun towards the end. The beginning of it actually bored me the the most for some reason. I just I couldn't get into it. Um, and then about halfway in, I actually started to like it. So I would I would say it was kind of. It was mid for me, but like good mid, not not like the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, but I probably won't go back and watch it again. I mean, I came in with zero expectations. I guess the only expectation is why had I not heard about this movie at all? So maybe it's probably not going to be that great, but that's what it did. And also in my truest of hearts, Alex, I can't say this is a good movie. 
I can't say it's a good movie, but damned if I can't say that it still hit me in my feels a little bit. Some of those emotional moments actually did kind of hit me in the right way. It did have some actual heart to the film. I do think the movie is pretty forgettable, though. I don't think anybody really needs to go see it. And I'm probably never going to actively go out and see this movie again. But I'm with John. It, it gets a meh from me. Yeah, I'm going to give it a good meh. I'll take I'll take a meh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I remember enjoying the film, you know, like I mentioned, because it showed up on TBS. For me, I at least I remember. I don't, maybe I'm just hallucinating um and watching it now I, I i it is definitely not a great film it's not even really that good but i find it i find it charming um i think i like i love the chemistry between the ghosts i think that they you know they have great chemistry robert downey jr he stretches his comedy chops and he's good i don't think he's amazing uh in this one it's mm-hmm. it's yeah this is his um his coked up time um, but overall, I, I think there are some great elements. It does have a lot of heart. And so, yeah, it's something that I may watch a clip. I've watched a clip of a few of the scenes from time to time. I, but it has stuck in my memory for a very long time, just cause I think, you know, I've watched a lot that, uh, the walk like a man, cheesy dancing with the, with all of them yeah. for some reason oh, that right. was in my head. Like I, I always remembered Robert Downey Jr. coming or Thomas coming in and doing that low, you know, mm-hmm. run into the song. So again, I, I, I may watch it from time to time, probably not in its entirety, but I still do have fond memories of it. <laughs> now we are going to talk a pup named Scooby Doo. Uh, the show ran from 19. 19- 88 to 1991, three seasons, 27 episodes on ABC. Uh, It was developed by Tom Ruger. Uh, He worked on He-Man, Snorks, Scooby-Doo stuff, Pound Puppies, Tiny Toons, and Animaniacs. He actually also uh, was credited as the series creator of Batman, the animated series. So he gets my thanks for that. Uh, The cast for this show, Scooby, was voiced by Don Messick. And that is the voice of Scooby in the original and many other things. Uh, he was also Dr. Benton Quest in multiple Johnny Quest shows, Bam Bam in the Flintstones, Astro in uh, the Jetsons. Uh, so great voice actor there. And apparently uh, this this show was the last time, at least on the last TV show that he did Scooby-Doo. He did like a, a couple made for TV movies and like a video game as Scooby. But this was the last TV show that he voiced because he died in 1997. Shaggy was voiced again by Casey Kasem. Uh, who did the voice of the original Shaggy in the show. And actually, he voiced Shaggy in pretty much every iteration until Casey Kasem died in 2014. So he was always that. But we also know Casey Kasem from, uh, he did voices on Super Friends, Transformers, and of course, the Top 40 radio show that Kasem Kasem, everybody knows Mm -hmm. for that one. Uh, Fred was not voiced by Frank Welker, instead voiced by a 14-year-old at the time named Carl Steven. Uh, he was also on on uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He was the kid that came over and did the mowing of the yard. Um, oh, on the yeah. Control mowing that yeah. put them in danger. Yeah. So he was that. That was him. Uh, and he was also in Weird Science and a good few things. And he had an interesting story because uh, he he gave up acting at some point in uh, then Things get went worse for young Carl Stephen. Uh, 
in 2009, he was arrested for committing six armed robberies at uh, several Walgreens and CVS pharmacies. He was sentenced to 13 years in prison. And then he died in 2011 at the age of 36 of a heroin overdose while in prison. Oh, my God. So that sucks. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, uh, <laughs> Way to bring the mood down, Adam. <laughs> I, know. I know. Well, maybe he got some resolution, you know, and, he, you know, he the bus, the great bus in the sky took him away, too. Let's hope that happened. <laughs> Daphne, also played by a kid, uh, Kelly Martin. She was 13 at the time. But I definitely would remember her voice uh, voice a little bit better um, as the perennial crush from the 90s, a cartoon crush, uh, Roxanne from a Goofy movie. She voiced Roxanne mm. in that one. Also, she was on ER, Life Goes On. And, John, she was in the movie The Face on the Milk Carton. I, I feel like that was a movie we probably should have gotten to. That was that made-for-TV film that was huge. Uh, I actually in the don't 90s, remember that. I you don't remember no, that? No. Wasn't it book first? Oh, it probably was a book first. I just remember the made-for-TV movie because I'm pretty sure mom made us probably. watch it. Probably. The right. thing I remember, I remember her more for Life Goes On. That was the series that I had watched that I remember her most okay. from. Uh, Velma was voiced by Christina Lang. Uh, she was Wendy in the Peter Pan and the Pirates show from the early 90s, which I didn't remember at all. She had voice of Raggedy Ann, and she was in Berenstein Bears as well. So quite a bit of stuff for her. There was another character called Red Herring, which I'm not going to lie. When he came up, I watched episode one. And when Red Herring came up and Fred like and said, oh, it's definitely Red Herring. I thought that was cute as shit. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, pretty clever uh, for as a character of obviously a Red Herring is, you know, the diversion is what you think is the actual, you know, person who committed the crime or whatnot, but it's not uh, voiced by Scott Menville, uh, who voiced uh, Robin in Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. Um, funny enough, also voiced Shaggy in a in a Scooby Doo show from 2006 to eight, and uh, might remember him as Ma T Hart uh, from Captain Planet. The, Tons of credits. The one that no one wanted to play as on the playground. <laughs> the least cool. Uh, even the monkey is way cooler than than uh, Mati. Sachi. So I want to say Sachi. Next. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> and of course, there are some other voice people uh, who are lent their talents to this show: Tress McNeil, Alan Oppenheimer, Kat Succi, Della Reese, Jim Cummings, Renee Abergenois. Uh, I just love saying his name <laughs> properly now, since John told me how to say it properly. Uh, Rob Paulson, and of course, Frank Welker uh, was a voice on this show for a couple of things. So. It's Scooby-Doo. We all know what Scooby-Doo is. This is a kid's version of Scooby-Doo. That's basically the liner notes of the show. Alex, you said earlier that this was like the thing you really wanted to talk about. So why is your love? What is your nostalgic value for a pup named Scooby-Doo? So people often debate uh, when it comes to their kid, you know, childhood over who's better, Disney or Looney Tunes. But for me, Hanna-Barbera was number one in my childhood. Uh, and so I, I watched a lot of Scooby-Doo. I watched, you know, all of those Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And then, but the thing is, for some reason, I, even though I watched it, I, for some reason, I was never a huge ba- fan of Scooby-Doo. But one day I just happened across uh, a pup named Scooby-Doo. And I thought it was so funny. I thought it was so much fun. And so uh, I think I watched it on Cartoon Network. And I, I found it. I found it whimsical and clever and just and fun. And mm-hmm. so it became a show that I actively would try to actually watch. I actually kind of knew what time it would be on, and so I would try to sit down in front of the TV and watch it. So, yeah, that I, I just remember enjoying it and thinking it was so much fun. 
Uh, I mean, it is. It's exactly like a Scooby Doo, but it is much more relatable to kids, and it is. It feels wackier, sillier, mm. and I will add in there some of the the clever stuff too, because again, I love that red herring joke. There's going to be more of that uh, going on. You can everybody can watch it on Tubi right mm-hmm. now. Uh, I believe all the episodes are out on Tubi, and so yeah, the show is basically Scooby Doo, where you go around solve mysteries, and there's some always like a person who is dressed up as a ghost or a monster or a demon or some kind of villain or whatnot, and they have to solve it by the end. I mean, it's I can't believe there have been so many iterations of Scooby-Doo because it is the same thing over and over and over. But yeah, it's uh, it's that kind of show. Um, I do want to call out. It's funny because this is just basically Scooby-Doo as kids. Tom Ruger left after season one of this show to go create Tiny Toon Adventures, which is just Looney Tunes, but as kids as kids so i guess he had a a winning formula for him um how this works so uh i do want to call out the theme song song was kind of cute it actually kind of reminded me of kind of little shop of horrors it had like that same kind of voice guy i don't know if it was the same dude or not but it had actually i just i just read uh it's not known who actually sang the theme song because they're not credited in in the i guess their identity right now is still a mystery because nobody remembers who actually sang it oh okay all right but it it sounded good yeah sounded like that style um so all the different characters were pretty much similar to themselves. I will say Fred was dumber. In I this didn't. As a I kid. did not like Fred in this iteration. Yeah, he seemed like too much like a bully. He kind of he kind of was a bully. He would just constantly push. Like he had wacky ideas. Like you know, like oh, it's you know, he'd always, almost always the call out. Oh, it's red herring, and it's the moment from yeah, it's the moment. Or, or or this is oh, it's this person who is actually a, a space alien from outer space. Like it was crazy. And and you know that was kind of funny thing about each of the characters. They all had very distinctive personalities that they they it went to almost to a very extreme for you know for the kids for the comedy fred was the conspiracy theory theorist he was overly cocky daphne was a spoiled a rich uh, aristocrat a mm-hmm. uh, rich not a cat she's a aristocrat <laughs> everybody <laughs> wants to be. be a cat um she always <laughs> was she was skeptical and the fact that she often would uh, call out call for her um her butler jenkins was that mm. was something that came up? Velma, super smart. She loved Scooby, but she also had that hidden dark side. Which, um, if you ever saw her when she was, they were on the motorized skateboard. Like she had these teeth gnashing, and her eyes were big. Um, so mm. that, that was a. It was a. In the original Scooby Doo, all the characters have distinct personalities, but I think with this one, they took them. Like they didn't even for Fred, they just kind of did something completely different, but they just went really extreme with everyone. John, I I didn't ask. Do you remember this particular show from our childhood? I kind of remember it. Um, I actually don't know that I was the biggest Scooby Doo fan when I was a kid. I do remember watching the original 60s series quite a bit, but I don't remember if I watched this regularly. The, the animation of Velma did trigger something. I'm like, oh, I do recognize like how they, I drew Velma with like the really huge oversized glasses and whatnot. Yeah. But I don't really remember this being any kind of show that I regularly watched. 
Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I wasn't a big Scooby-Doo person. I, I, I'm certain. I definitely remember some of the character designs. Uh, and so I definitely think I saw some episodes, but it wasn't a, a regular watch for me. Um, but it was there. I mean, it was something to it. Um, I do I do see it's kind of interesting. Or I think it's funny that um, there was another Scooby-Doo show going on around the same kind of time called What's New Scooby-Doo? And in an episode of that one, it featured a flashback to Velma's fifth birthday uh, party. And they use the character designs from this show in that flashback. Mm. So I think that's oh, kind of fun. Nice. But um, yeah, like that's all I've got specifically for pup named Scooby Doo. I will say it did come across a obviously more set for even more so set for kids. It had some more wackiness, like like unbelievable things. Like the I watched episode one, Scooby gets sucked into like a a, a newspaper printing press, and he comes out as a newspaper. I thought that was kind of weird because I don't feel like that kind of stuff happened in the first Scooby-Doo, but they're just kind of going a little bit more slapsticky with this one, which I get it because it's targeted towards kids. But uh, yeah, I thought it was fine. I watched one episode and I wasn't a huge Scooby-Doo guy then and I haven't changed <laughs> to a Scooby-Doo guy now. Uh, so it's fine. I mean... It seems completely fine for kids. I thought it's cute enough, and I think if a kid likes Scooby-Doo, I think this would be a good show for him. But it's, it's yeah, just not for me. So, John? Um, yeah, I watched one episode. I think I watched the first... I think I watched the first one. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I, I liked, in general, the character design. I didn't show this uh, to my kids. I didn't get a chance to. It ended up being a very weird and busy week. We had the weirdest weather ever. Uh, mm -hmm. This week here in Las Vegas, and uh, I didn't hate really any of the designs other than Fred. Fred was the only one where I, I just I didn't like. I didn't like. I didn't like what they turned him into. I didn't like the character design. I really didn't like anything about that. But it was it was a fine cartoon, and I think if I had been able to show this to my kids maybe three or four years ago, they probably would have liked it. Now I think they've out completely outgrown it, but. I thought it was a fine cartoon. I mean, it's it was pretty pretty in innocuous, and I don't think it was any better or worse than some of the other cartoons we've we've reviewed from around this time. So I, I think it was fine. I just think it it never hit me in my nostalgia um, as far as '80s and '90s cartoons go. I I can't imagine I'll have a situation where I watch this again unless I have like a really little kid that I need to entertain who likes Scooby Doo, and maybe this would appeal to them. Mm -hmm. which uh you said yeah three or four years ago that would put uh your kids that would have been the age range of what alex's kid is so alex do you watch this show uh with your kid uh, no i haven't uh yet I, no. i'm gonna show it to him and see what he likes uh, if, if he likes it um mm -hmm. i did watch a couple episodes and it, it it was very much what i remembered of it i think that a lot of the episodes actually get become very clever because, you know, like, okay. as I mentioned, they, they have all these character traits, but sometimes they would subvert what you expect from them. You know, all of a sudden they would do the thing where, you know, do you want a Scooby snack? And of course he always says yes, but sometimes he'd be like, no. And or they would pull out the box hmm. of Scooby snacks and they would be out and then they would take time to, like, pull out an oven and bake them. And uh -huh. and there would be times I think one of my favorite jokes is like red herring was bothering them and Daphne called jenkins her her butler and he just kicks him out there was one episode where it was red herring by the way um i still think okay. I, I still think it is clever um and i 
looking at all the iterations of Scooby-Doo, I would I would say that this is probably the most original because all the other ones are very very this much the same. Whereas this one, they there it's goofy and it's and it's kind of crazy and it is for kids and mm-hmm. but I would say that this is actually pretty fresh. Well, was pretty fresh and pretty <laughs> original. I can see. I mean, I since I only watched one episode, you're actually you're intriguing me a little bit with how you are talking about it. Like there's more to them. Um, and actually I did read, yeah, that there was one episode that red herring was it. Um, but it was also Fred did not accuse him of being it that episode because of something. Like, he, he, um, that, they, they, he was always accusing of, uh, accusing him. And then this episode, they're like, I bet you can't, you know, go a day without accusing him. And every yeah. time he sees a clue, he's like, Oh, I want to put in. And then at the very <laughs> end, red herring had stolen his aunt's bicycle to uh to like fix it up oddly enough i actually didn't watch uh, that one but it's stuck in my brain you wow you yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm that person the episode i watched had <laughs> the episode i watched had to deal with steel stolen bicycles that was the one well. i watched uh, maybe that was, so it must have been yeah, the first okay one. yeah for the chain for some reason yeah yes, it, it, cha- it doesn't yeah, make yeah. it none of it makes sense but you know <laughs> often they will talk to the audience they'll let it'll be they'll engage the audience and be like hey look at these clues what do you think and that was kind of nice. There wasn't a lot of fourth wall breaking at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, they mm-hmm. really leaned into that. But this one, they started doing that pretty early on. Well, all right, Alex. I think you uh, you successfully talked this show up. <laughs> Appreciate it. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... It's him! It's definitely him! He's so hot! And he's rich! And he drives! I love him! And when he's got dog breath! Just go kiss him! Forget it! He's yours, okay? Heartthrob, the new game from Milton Bradley where you get to pick from... Gobs of gorgeous guys! And try to decide who your friends will pick! Here's the guy for you! What a hump! Check him out! Yeah, but his sneaker size is bigger than his IQ! So? Come on, looks like... From Milton Bradley. It's totally serious. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As mentioned at the top, we are going to recast Heart and Souls using actors of today. Uh, we got a uh, not a horribly long list, but we do have a fairly long list of characters that we really do need to do. We've got Thomas, uh, Julia, Penny, Harrison, Milo. So there's the uh, there's Thomas and the Four Ghosts, and then Anne, the girlfriend, and of course Hal, the bus driver. Uh, I will have Adam start us off with his pick for Hal the bus driver. Sure. Um, yeah. The one thing I want to mention, you can recast this, I think, a bajillion mm-hmm. different ways. Like you could literally have almost anybody in almost any role and make it work. I thought it was very interesting because we we typically the stuff that I that I cast stuff, I, I have very set ideas of what I want. This could be damn near anybody. So I'm kind of curious to see how we all took it and if we changed anything or whatnot so uh yeah how the bus driver comedic i like that um someone who i think could could be some funny but also you know believable as a little bit of a kind of semi creep uh, as they're <laughs> looking down at some hanky panky when they get crash the bus and kill everyone um i want the guy who i enjoy seeing and stuff i think he's perfect for like kind of side roles like this and he's funny as shit i went with craig robinson as my how <laughs> okay. the bus driver I can Very see nice. a lot of a lot of funny quips yeah. as he comes in each time to pick up 
uh, more exactly. ghosts and stuff like that. I can totally see that. I will go next. We'll let uh, Alex go last. So I actually decided to go with like a theme for this one. Okay. Uh, this is going to be a British comedy movie. So I did all British actors. Uh, Hal's going to drive one of those big like London red double-deckers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I went looking. Uh, Hal, the bus driver, was actually the last guy I cast. I was looking for, I was like, okay, who are some, who are some of the best British character actors? And it came across this guy. I'm like, you know, we mostly see him in very serious roles or roles where if there's comedy, he's playing the straight kind of straight actor. But this guy's been in the game for a very long time. So much so that he's probably older than most people would cast for this. But I just like his personality. And I've seen him do some funny stuff, and I think it would be fun to see him in a role like this. He's 81, so we're not going to do too many physical things uh, with him. But he, he's got a distinctive look and I think a great personality for How the Bus Driver. And it is the actor David Bradley. Oh, okay. I remember him best, I think most people will, as uh, Filch in uh, the Harry Potter yes. movies. And then also... Yeah. Oh, and, Game of Thrones. And also Game of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones, yes. That's right. He got his throat cut. Yep. <laughs> Pretty good. He was an asshole in that one. Uh, he would be great. I like that. Yeah. All yeah. right. Alex. He is, I assume he'll be crotchety, because that's what he's... <laughs> well, he's, he's known for being crotchety, but I would actually see if we could go like another way with it. Like, we just yeah. maybe be a little okay. goofy or so, a little over the top. Sure. All right, Alex? Yeah, so this isn't a big role, but I think it definitely requires a strong comedic character actor. Um, there are many actors I also thought of. Uh, I thought Alan Tudyk. I thought Michael Malley. Um, but with this, I went with an actress and a comedian writer who was was great during her time at SNL. Uh, she was a new girl. Uh, my bus driver is Nassim Patrad. She right. also has her own series, Chad, on uh, on TBS, where she plays a middle school boy. <laughs> okay. How do you spell her first name? Nassim, N-A-S-I-M. Or Petrod. Nassim Petrod. I haven't seen... I remember her look from the little... But that was during a time I wasn't really watching Saturday Night Live. Sure. So I, But if she made it as a cast member, I'm assuming she's a funny person. She was in Aladdin. Yeah, she's the she, character. She, I did, I never saw that one though. But yeah, I don't know. She, she uh, sure. It, um, it, yes, it, this is the best <laughs> casting ever. In New Girl, she does. Uh, she does very good snarky, which is I I, okay. I like about her. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Yep. Now she was in one episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine, Adam. Yeah, and one episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. She played. Too, uh, I'm looking at. She played uh, Jake's sister. Oh. Okay. Oh. All right. The one who is like who showed up like in handcuffs. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Cool. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, all right. And the girlfriend, Adam, will just circle back to you. Uh, I did gender swapping. I went ahead and I'll just tell you, I gender swapped my Thomas, uh, who is now going to be uh, Tatiana. I don't know. Whatever. Um, she'll be. I'm not sure, but yeah. And then my Anne will become Andy. Maybe I don't know. Um, but I did gender swap those because. I didn't get much of the connection between Julia and Thomas. You know that they're that Julia is supposed to kind of, and that's why she was the last one. I want to hammer that home, um, and so I'm basically I'm making them the same gender to be like, hey, look, this is this is their, uh, um, you know, we're 
comparing these two, you know, they're they're supposed to be symbolic that they're the same going through the same kind of issue. Uh, so that's why I did it. I went with a guy who, you know, good looking dude. He can be in stuff. I don't I don't need like a massive star for this role, but yeah, good looking guy. He looked good in Top Gun Maverick as kind of the new Iceman kind of. I'm with Glenn Powell as my and slash. Andy. Okay. Yeah. 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 I like I like him as an actor. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a good looking man though. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's a good looking dude. Uh, all right, so I I didn't do really any gender swapping or anything like that, mm-hmm. or at least not gender swapping per se. And so I, it's a fairly smaller role uh, for the girlfriend. She only pops in a few times. Um, so I just kind of decided to go with a, an actress who I would like to see more of. This is a British actress who uh, she was in the Barbie movie. She played one of the Barbies, which is not really saying much because there were a lot of Barbies. Um, but I first fell in love with her at, for her character of Maeve on Sex Education, uh, and her name is Emma Mackey. I've, I mean, you've mentioned how good Sex Education is. I've yeah, not seen at least it at that all. that the, that first season was really good. I think they're on season four now. I'm not sure. Oh well, she looks a lot like Samara Weaving. She does have similar uh, qualities to Samara Weaving. I haven't seen those, but she she looks great. I think she would be a fantastic Anne. I saw her in Death on the Nile. Oh, okay. So, yeah, she looks good. She was good. I really like Death cool. on the Nile. Good All call. right, Alex. Yeah, Anne doesn't have a lot to do, but it's clear that she's she's strong, she's compassionate, but sometimes vulnerable. I chose an actress who's pretty much uh, kind of a one-to-one for Elizabeth Shue. Uh, I went with Lily James, a okay. British actress. Yes. I've used her before. I'm trying to remember exactly what she looks like what i remember her from oh yeah she was the was she the new no no she wasn't the new she was the new cinderella yeah she was the new uh, cinderella a little bit ago mm-hmm. yes okay yeah she was in okay. baby driver okay she did the i think she did the that that uh pam and tom uh pamela and tommy uh yes movie. yes she did she <laughs> uh, played pamela. yes yeah okay she did look pretty pretty yeah pretty believable as, as pamela anderson yep. so I never saw it, but I cool. I saw it. Was it bad? Or was it, good? it was bad with funny moments. Okay. Um, cool. And all of the all of the nudity in that were were all stunt doubles and fake sure. anatomy. All of it sure, was sure, for sure. both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, That's that is call. a good call. I like that. Uh, okay. Uh, on to Milo. Adam. All right. So Milo's the thief. He also. Has some creep elements to him that we noticed as well. Someone, I wanted somebody who would be good comedically. I think Milo was probably the most comedic role other than Thomas when he gets possessed and stuff like that. So I wanted someone who is, yeah, good in any kind of roles I feel like I can put him in. And I could see him kind of being a thief. He can do whatever because mm-hmm. he's a great, he's a great actor. I'm with Bill Hader as my okay. Milo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. He works. Sure. I'm not. I don't hate. I love Bill Hader. I don't necessarily yeah. think of him a thief. Although I haven't seen. Uh, is he? Is, that's he's Barry, right? He's in Barry. Yeah, he's. Yeah. A, he's a I haven't seen that, that one yet, but I, I hear nothing but good it's things. Phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal show. Uh, okay, so so in my head, um, so this movie came out in '93. The ghost died around the '50s, so you're looking at about a 30 year thing. So that would put this uh, as the actors would die somewhere around the early '90s for this. Mm, okay. 
So I, I, I was trying to think. I was like, well, you do British punk, but that's really seventies and stuff like that. And then I just said, you know what? I got to stop thinking about it and just pick an actor who I like and want to see. And what I decided in is, first of all, typically when we think British, we don't necessarily think uh, ethnic diversity. But there is a very big Indian population there. And one of the really good uh, Indian actors, or at least uh, you know Indian um, uh, heritage actors, who is about the right age for Milo, is Dev Patel. And I was like, you know what? Sure. Dev Patel could could nail this part really really well. Oh yeah. So that's who I picked. Yeah. Sure. I I, I haven't seen him do kind of like the kind of the creepier and creep guy and uh, and thief dude, but I'm sure he, he's a great actor, so he could totally do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Who did you pick, Alex? Uh, for Milo, I wanted someone who could who could look kind of like a 50s greaser. I, I was going to keep it kind of. I like that 50s look on him. Um, sure. Kind of like a, a, a wannabe mobster. Um, my pick actually would, wouldn't even have to worry about uh, being called by, uh, by his character name on set because my Milo is Milo Ventimiglia uh, from This Is Us <laughs> and uh, Gilmore Girls. Yeah, and heroes as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's a good call. I think he fits really well. Yeah, easy for really, him. I don't really exactly. know his stuff. So barely has to act with the with the name. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I've seen really any of his stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's a good. I think it's definitely a good good choice. Uh, all right. Uh, Harrison, who did you pick for Harrison? I I don't love my pick for Harrison. Um, I got stuck on actors who can sing because I wanted someone who could actually sing. Uh, for this role, this guy is he normally does maybe bigger roles, but I don't know. He'll be fine. He's done. He can do side stuff, too. I don't know. I just uh, for some reason, I bet I'm going to like what you guys say better. I went with Hugh Jackman as my Harrison because I know he sings. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say I yeah. love that pick. I'm, I'm, I don't. <laughs> I mean, he's, sure. he's Hugh Jackman. Fine. He's an actor. He can do anything. I have trouble seeing. I see him with confidence in yeah. every movie. I think what I'm struggling with is seeing him be. A, n- a nervous, anxious kind yeah. of guy, but yeah, he yeah. can act. So I mean, he'd do fine. It'd probably be a step down for him a little bit, uh, a lot, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a it's a, a lower role than than he would want, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so I at first I was like, oh, do I need to find someone to sing? And I was like, no, 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 we can just ADR that shit. I don't really care. <laughs> um. So, but I wanted an actor who could have that, you know, that nervous look, maybe a little bit more mousy. Almost than um, mm-hmm. than Charles is it Charles Broden, Groden Groden, Groden I was close. Yeah. Um, he seems like he, Charles Groden seems like he was a pretty tall guy. So I was looking around at British actors. This guy came up immediately, and I was like, yes, he would give me that sort of nervous, anxious feel. He plays similar characters a lot, so it wouldn't be a stretch for him. He's one of Britain's best character actors. Uh, I went with Toby Jones. Oh, yeah, oh, he's yeah. a very interesting looking guy. Yeah. Toby I Jones. could see him like standing in front, like maybe nervously holding his hat as he yeah. thinks he's going to sing and being like, sorry, I can't do this. And like walk- awkwardly walking away. He's he is a little bit older, but I don't you know, we, we've established that it doesn't really need to. The age doesn't really need to matter too much for most of these characters. So he could I definitely think, do that timid look. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you say, yeah. Hat in hand, just kind of looking down, like slumped over. I think that would be I could see that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Alex. Um, yeah, I went quite a bit older. 
uh, than than Charles Grodin as well. But but for Harrison, yeah, I don't. I think it works just fine. Um, I did want to have someone who could sing for that updated shot that I was I was kind of talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a great actor who we saw in Titanic, Legally Blonde, and I first saw him in Alias. Uh, I went with Victor Garber. Okay. I need to I know the name and I'm, okay. I'm struggling yeah, to remember. Yeah, you'll, you'll recognize oh, yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Once oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't know he can sing. Okay. Nice. Oh yeah, he's uh, I, th- I think he's Broadway Broadway trained. I think he played nice. like Daddy Warbucks in an updated ah. um Annie. Nice. And yeah. Hey, you definitely yeah, I I could see him also kind of doing the meeker stuff. Yeah, my mine is the worst call for sure. Y'all both <laughs> nailed it much better. So, good job. All right. That's a, as much of a compliment as we're probably going to get, Alex, so we should just take it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I almost went, uh, by the way, I almost went uh, Taylor Swift on Anne just no, to you piss you didn't. off. <laughs> just you to didn't. piss you, you off. You wouldn't have. I had to cut you off. Hey, you <laughs> and that's the did, end of Alex. And didn't you just use her for dogma? I shut up, <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> it made more sense that time to play God. It did. It did. <laughs> Uh, all right, Penny. Adam, who did you pick? Yeah, uh, I went with uh, an actress. So for Penny, you got to have that motherly feel. Um, this actress has played a mother multiple times on screen. Um, she does a lot more comedy stuff typically, but I think she can probably lean into the dramatic and the and the motherly side of her. Uh, she was also in the Barbie movie, but she played the mom and one of the main roles. I went with America Ferrera as my Penny. I I'm starting to really love America Ferrera. I I, I really liked mm-hmm. her in um, Superstore. Yeah, and uh, I re- actually really liked her in the Barbie movie. I thought she did a really yeah, good job. She was good, and as kind of that little central character. So I like that pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I haven't seen Barbie movie, but I watched uh, quite a bit of Superstores and America. She's she's wonderful. That's a good call. Um, all right, so I for my um, Penny. Uh, I was kind of looking around at British actresses and then saw her and immediately knew I was going to use her. Um, she's uh, been around for a a good bit. She's done a lot of of British stuff and a lot of uh, American stuff, just kind of, you know, smaller roles. Um, she made a cameo in the Sandman series. Adam, did you ever finally get around to watching the Sandman? I I know I need to. Um, but, uh, we all came to know her and love her as, uh, Dr. Sharon Fieldstone in Ted Lasso. I went with Sarah Niles. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought she could have, um, nice motherly vibes on that one. Oh, she, yeah. Don't judge her based on, uh, the Ted Lasso Ted thing. Lasso. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of a hard ass in that one, Yeah, uh, but she's good. She, he, re, he gets to her a little bit, but no, I think, I think she's, she was, I mean, I like her in, in Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. so I'm sure she'd yeah. be great. Haven't seen Ted Lasso, but she looks she looks the part. She definitely oh, would do you're, well. You're missing out, Alex. Yeah. You're you're so missing out. It's it's one of those things. You, you've, I've heard. I, I've heard. If you like Scrubs at all, I think you know the way because they're both created by Bill Lawrence. Um, oh, yeah. But the way that his style of blending drama and comedy together uh, is fantastic. In you know, it's not it's not maybe well no it sometimes goes to some of those extremes yeah it's really great yeah oh yeah and, I love Bill Lawrence um Spin City yeah. was the, my, my introduction to him so ah uh, there you go yeah. nice yeah. it's only three seasons so it's it's worth it. yeah it's, I, 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 it's it's on my list of things to watch it, it's worth it just to get the 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 you know the trial for, for Apple sure just yeah. just to watch that show uh, okay 
uh, where are we? Are we on your penny, right? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so Penny has to be motherly and mm-hmm. kind of sassy. Uh, I looked for an actress who could be strong but also have a look of someone working so hard for her kids. Uh, my po- my choice for Penny uh, has been in the MCU, but where I saw her as my the, the look that I liked for Penny was from Matilda the Musical on Netflix. So my choice for Penny is Lashana Lynch. Uh, she played Maria Rambo. Uh, in Captain Marvel. Oh, okay. uh, that's yeah, that's definitely where I. Oh yes, now her I from. see her. Okay. Okay. And yeah, I like her as Rambo. Oh, you know what? Good job. I do remember her from Matilda the Musical because my my daughter had that had that on like every day for like a whole month because she loved it, and I do remember her from that. Yeah. That's a good call. She, yeah, she was she was, she was very in that. She was very motherly in that, so I could totally I totally get the connection there. Okay. Uh, all right, uh, Julia, Adam. All right, Julia. Um, I needed somebody. Well, you can go with a lot of different ways on Julia. I mean, Kira Sedgwick was fine. I don't think this was like an exceptional role for, role for her. Um, so I kind of picked just someone who I like and I want to see in more things. Particularly, I liked her in uh, the little bit of Walking Dead that I had seen her in. She had also went on to lead a Star Trek team but i don't think a lot of people i don't know if it's a well-received show um but i like her as an actress and i want to see her in more things so i went with sonequa martin green as my julia i like that i like that she's a good actress and i I think she would do very well that part discovery is actually pretty divisive among star trek fans there are fans who love it and there are fans who hate it i Uh, heard that the later seasons got significantly better I heard that too, and I only ever watched the first one and hated it and stopped watching it after that. Also, I wasn't going to uh, – uh, you had to get a subscription at that point to watch mm-hmm. it, and I didn't want to do it. Um, I will say Strange New Worlds, which is kind of a spinoff of Discovery a little bit, is fantastic, and I love that one. Yeah, it is. It is, okay. on a random note, Paramount, Paramount like a week before – uh, a new season will put the previous season of a Star Trek on YouTube for free. And mm. so I was able to watch season one of Strange New Worlds uh, for free on YouTube. And I'm actually watching season three of Lower Decks uh, on uh, on YouTube. Lower Decks, uh, I tried. And I, to come out. I couldn't get into Lower Decks. I, I think just I think the humor just missed my mark. But I know a lot of people love that 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 one. <laughs> Well, they had the crossover episode, which was very much loved. <laughs> that one was a lot of fun. I will admit, I did have a lot of fun with that one. All right, Adam, let's go back to some talking about something you know about. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know shit about Star Trek. <laughs> uh, That's okay. We're on my Julia, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, your yes, Julia. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I, I wanted to pick. In a lot of cases, in this one, I, I tr- was trying to pick actors who I hadn't picked before, especially since I was going with an all British cast. Um, there were a few that I knew that I had picked before. I'd picked Toby Jones before. I think I'd picked Dev Patel before, but I don't think I have picked this actress before. But I've seen her pop up in quite a few things, and I'm trying to remember the first thing that I re- that I saw her in that I really remember because she's been in a ton of stuff. She shows up. Uh, and all kinds of stuff, but I can't remember exactly where I saw her. Um, but she was in uh, the 2010 Clash of the Titans movie. Uh, she was in also the 2010 Prince of Persia: Sands of Time. I won't hold that against her. That movie was horrible. 
Um, but I see her popping up in all kinds of stuff, and her name is Gemma Archerton. I remember, yeah, I've I've seen her from just doing casting stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll see why not. I'll take a sure. She looks, <laughs> she looks great. <laughs> yeah. All right, Alex. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, for some, I guess I wanted my Julia to kind of mirror Anne in disposition. I, have, I don't know why, but my, my Julia needed to be warm and nurturing. Um, now, while Penny played the role of kind of mother to everyone, Julius needed to still have a maternal role while still kind of being at the same level as Thomas. So I chose an actress who actually once played a character who ended up first meeting her own daughter while they were about the same age um she played snow white in once upon a time uh and was just she was the voice of julie hops in zootopia my julia is uh jennifer goodwin oh yeah i like jennifer goodwin okay yeah me too i think that is a pretty good call the only thing that i well no i mean julia did have yeah she had motherly stuff to her as well so yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I the only thing is at the beginning, yeah, she, well, yeah, she did, never mind. That's a good call. That's a good call. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, uh, I remember her from Once Upon a Time because my wife watched that show religiously um, mm-hmm. when it was on. And then, oh, that's yeah, right. I'm, she, I'm watching she, it with my son right now. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, I saw her in Walk the Line. Walk the Walk Line, line yeah. She I was Vivian, she played like, yeah. Vivian Cash. I think it was Johnny Cash's first wife. Uh, okay. Now we're on Thomas, right? Yeah. I don't know why I'm blanking all the time. Uh, all right, Adam, you're Thomas. All right. So as I mentioned, I did gender swap Thomas uh, and and. So uh, my Thomas is someone. I guess I'm still gonna be doing. You know, the you take over the body and there's some wacky stuff that you know happens because of it. So I needed an actress who can uh, do comedy, even some like physical comedy as needed, um, but also strong enough to do the drama because this movie does have heart and that's the big part of it. Uh, so I went with uh, an actress who can do an entire range because she is fen- phenomenal. I went with Emma Stone as my Thomas. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she's a big, she's a big star. She's doing a lot of stuff. She's a good yeah. actress. I have no problems with it. Absolutely. Okay. I don't know why. I'm just, I've never been a huge Emma Stone fan. Fan. Oh really? No. Oh man, you're wrong there. Just, you're wrong I, for not liking her. I, I don't say I don't I her. like her. I just like I don't. You know, I'm not like. Oh, Emma Stone's in this. I just. Yeah, it's fine. She's fine. I love. I loved her in The Rocker. I never, never that. saw that one. It's it's got Rain Wilson uh, who plays a drummer. In oh the, it, yes. Yeah, I, uh, I remember seeing the trailer for it. Okay. It's she's great in that. I kind of okay. like that movie. Okay. Uh, all right, so for Thomas, Thomas was actually the first person I cast in this one. I, I actively wanted to cast Thomas first before I casted anyone else. And I knew I was doing this as a British comedy, so I wanted to go with a uh, a person who is well-known in Britain. Didn't I didn't care if they were well-known in the U.S. I wanted them to be well-known in Britain. And this guy is a stand-up comic. He is an actor. Uh, he's been doing a lot of things. In British TV and British movies for a long time, uh, for about ten years, he did a show called Bad Education, which isn't saying much because in Britain, like they'll take a lot of time off in between. So there's literally only twenty episodes of that show for tw- for the twenty years they did it, or sorry, for ten years, not twenty years, ten years. Uh, but still, he was recently in the Jungle Cruise movie, but I'm not going to hold that against him because he's he's <laughs> looked up. He, yeah, it's it's that's not you know. 
Uh, he is very well known in Britain. His name is Jack Whitehall. He looks the part. He looks he great does. for that. He looks very Downey Jr. esque. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen him really in much of anything. If but... you if you go watch anything of him, go watch his interviews uh, on the Graham Norton show. Okay, you'll get a real good sense of of like kind of who he is as a comedian. So like, I've seen a couple of his stand ups as well. He's a really funny guy. So okay. I think you could cool. do well with this and a little bit of add maybe a little bit more physical comedy than maybe Robert Downey would have with something like mm. this. So. Uh, plus, you know, you gotta you gotta make sure that the the British humor is catering to the target audience in that case. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, all right, Alex, bring us home. All right. Well, whoever plays Thomas, yes, has to be incredibly versatile. He has to become other characters in his own body. Something that my actor actually has done before. Uh, he will. Uh, He'll need to be able to play the ruthless banker, but also a guarded romantic. He has to have great physical comedy talents and basically kind of willing to go all out. Somehow I actually also went with a British actor and and his, uh, Lee James is also British. Uh, but anyway, uh, so for my, uh, my Thomas, I went with Daniel Radcliffe. I, I okay. actually thought about him. I actually thought about him as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw how great he can be. In the the Weird Al movie, yeah, uh, I I think uh, he's kind of overlooked now because he's not doing things that are as big. But he's uh, he's doing a lot of comedy stuff. Um, what is the? There's a TV show that he's been in that my wife just loves that I can never remember. Was the that, name. Was that, that, that's that Miracle Workers? Like, Miracle, Miracle Workers. Okay, yeah. Um, where like, it's like each, each season. Yeah, he works for God, and each mm. season takes place in a different time. Um, it oh, it okay. it's actually seems pretty interesting. I watched the first season. It was it was pretty funny. I just it wasn't enough to hook me. But she's watched pretty much every season. I think. Um, I also liked uh, what was the one with him with the horns? Was it called Horns? No, it was oh. called Horns. Yeah, yeah Horns. Yeah, yeah. I actually really liked that one, except for the ending was a little weird. Uh, but the actual the whole rest of that was actually a pretty good movie. I think uh, yeah, someone I, put it. Someone put it like Daniel Radcliffe now made all of his money early as a child and is now just doing the films that he wants to do that look interesting to him. So I, I think that I think that's not a bad call at all. Did oh, yeah. he play a dead body? Uh was it called like Swiss Army knife or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that something was weird. Yeah, it was a weird trailer I did see, but yeah, I think you're right. Swiss Army Man. Swiss that's Army it. Man. Yeah. No, I, I think that's actually a really good call. Really good call. Cool. Uh all right. Uh, Alex, uh, thank you so much for for coming back on. It's it's been a pleasure uh, having you as a patron, as a fan, and as a friend. And yep. Adam, do you have anything you want to add before it closes out? No, that was perfect. All right. Well, yeah. that was our recasting of Heart and Souls. Please join us next time. There are only six more episodes of the Blast from Our Past podcast as John and I go over our top ten favorite guitar instrumental songs. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.
I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.